Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week, we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing. We have all newly released films this week, so it's Thanksgiving by Eli Roth, Next Goal Wins by Taika Watiti, Saltburn by Emerald Fennel, we have Wish by Chris Buck and Fawn Vera Sunthorn, and finally, Napoleon, directed by Ridley Scott. It's going to be an awesome new release week, folks, so stay tuned and enjoy. How we doing, buddy? Thomas, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay. You're super loud. We're on a new machine, folks. Has new to, machine. I'm struggling with the levels here. <laughs> really struggling with the levels. How, how was your movie? How was your week of movies, yeah. man? <laughs> week of movies, hey, you know, there's a lot of, lot of squeeze for not a lot of juice. Let's just say that. You uh, were hanging out. In the theater. With What's-Her-Face in the AMC theaters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's-Her-Face is right. I think I just block it out now. It's just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even realize it. Um, yeah, five new movies. I'm excited for this week. Yeah. Because, well, I saw one of them. Mm. And I like the fact, I mean, when we have five new releases, that's huge. That's Absolutely. A big deal. I, I like these weeks a lot just because um, uh, even for when we look at the the year in review, uh, the Tom Daly's, uh, taking a look at how many release normal releases yeah. versus new releases uh we're able to cover i always want to make sure that we're covering as much as possible uh with this uh with the within the year but yeah I, you know despite being in the theaters a lot uh not a lot of juice for all the time i spent with there um <laughs> uh you know the these films uh, i i really wished uh, I, I would able to i was able to come away uh with one of these uh, especially for how many different genres uh we're juggling here right right uh and and have something kind of come out with it but uh, i really wasn't hot on any of these films if i'm being honest okay um, a little foreshadowing for the yeah, week then. <laughs> so, yeah. so we know what to expect uh i think i think the the positive side of this is that uh this week of films has a lot of movies that any kind of film buff might be interested in eli roth is returning to his slasher horror ways uh emerald fennel this is her, her second film yeah uh disney makes a big mess oh, with Gosh. Wish and has been a in big the, poopy the news. Splash. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. Uh, been in the whole news circuit. So we'll talk a little bit uh, on that for sure. You know, <laughs> yeah, the, these are all interesting movies for one reason or another, uh, which uh, I'm always happy to talk about them. Excellent, man. Excellent. So we're really getting into final stretch of like we have a lot of movies coming out. Mm -hmm. Some are definitely going to be bad. Like some just look terrible watching the trailers. <laughs> oh yeah, waiting for Napoleon. <laughs> um, but some are going to be big heavy hitters. I hope like Ferrari and stuff. Sure. But it's like because award season around the corner. It's we have you know summer blockbusters and now end of year late November to yeah. January of just just bangers. Yes. And, and trying to get people in the theaters. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. There's a lot coming up, and this is just like the jumping off point really. Yeah. This yeah. week. So, okay. With that, let's just get started right away. I kind of asked you what 
wh- how you wanted to go about, which one mm. you wanted to start with, yeah, which yeah, one yeah. you wanted to end and everything. So we're going to start with Thanksgiving. Give us a little bit of the background of this film, like this whole like, sure. the production of it and everything yeah, like that, yeah, how yeah. it came to be. And most of all, how did you like Thanksgiving? Well, Thanksgiving is getting a lot of buzz uh, because it's really the only horror right now uh, that is out in theaters. Uh, honestly, it does have an interesting production story uh, that you're keying into, Tom. Uh, we got a flashback to 2007 for this. Tarantino teamed up once again with Robert Rodriguez to make the genre parody movie Grindhouse Double Feature. Um, if you're not familiar with this, folks, uh, this was a meta take on a gritty 70s drive-in experience with two back-to-back exploitation films, both being very gory, very sexual, and very stylized. Uh, in between that, we have a handful of fake trailers done up in that same 70s kind of drive-in uh, style. Okay, okay. Uh, some of them proving to have legs to actually be made into real movies. Um, Rodriguez himself, of course, directed the initial fake trailer for Machete, which uh, has spun off into its own trilogy of films, uh, still going with Danny Trejo. Uh, And now we have director Eli Roth returning to his slasher Halloween parody trailer to make it into a full-fledged horror movie. Uh, And and I'll be honest, I don't think there's a single Eli Roth film I I enjoy. Uh, (laughs) uh, What are some that we, we might recognize? Hostel. Uh, from oh, 2007, yeah. uh, he big does a uh, yeah. There's a big uh, uh, cannibal movie called Green Inferno, which is a bit of a throwback to uh, once again 70s Italian horror. Okay, I, they, they're just all so overly gross yeah. and not not even in a saw way. Uh, that definitely is where Eli Roth lived for a little bit in in the shadow of like franchises like Saw okay. and, and James Wan. Yeah, uh, my hopes were not high here. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> And I'm happy to say it wasn't horrible. Uh, So there was a a kind of a surprise even for me there. Uh, Thanksgiving starts with an idea to extend Black Friday one day earlier for a local department store in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Uh, Like so many have seen, I I didn't get many news stories this year about it, but the craze and the fever that takes over a crowd uh, wanting a deal can be vicious. Uh, So tragedy inevitably strikes, uh, the town collectively dreads when the holiday season rolls around one year later. Birthplace of the holiday in Plymouth once again transforms to welcome the pilgrim tradition, uh, this time inviting a new face to the dinner table, the axe-wielding John Carver, which, folks, if you're wondering, like a Halloween, if Thanksgiving is going to be a uh, franchise, a growing tradition, it seems like Eli Roth is definitely gunning for that uh, in this John Carver ca- character, oh. as if you will, like a Michael Myers okay, or something sure. like that. Okay, sure, yeah. So I have no doubt maybe even next year, uh, around Thanksgiving once again, we might see <laughs> another one of these. Uh, and and like I said, I, I think I was pleasantly surprised with this. This was, this was a true blue slasher in that kind of was done well. Uh, even though it wasn't really great and I wouldn't really mark a lot of slasher movies as like super high quality. Right. Uh, but it really understood what it was going for. The lane uh, that it picked, it stayed in its lane. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Would this be considered, what do we bring up with Texas Chainsaw Massacre? They used to call them splatter films. Oh, splatter films, absolutely. Which I think is pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. bring that back. I think it could come back too, uh, especially with um, 
uh, Roth has such a, a particular type of gore uh, that it oh. really is torturous. It's not torturous in like a saw way. It's torturous for the viewer that you're just kind of sitting and like, oh, you know what's coming. You know what's right, coming. Right, and he, right. he fakes it and then it comes back, you know. Um, and, and folks, honestly, prepare yourself for some serious gore in this. Once again, on brand for Roth's films and might be one of his bloodiest yet. Uh, the prosthetic work is very impressive in this, you know, for my Fangoria types uh, out there, uh, they will be delighted. You will be delighted uh, to see a lot of practical effects used here. Uh, good, good. And beyond maybe like one that I caught, uh, really not a lot of CGI at all, uh, which was uh, which was fun to good. see. You yeah, know, very good. You know, that's the VFX is half the half the enjoyment of these type of movies. I can get behind most of the production reasons for this, but I still think Roth's movies are overly gross out for my taste um particularly anything to do with skin he just he just really embellishes these <laughs> these triple fake outs and then doing it anyway mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's just it's it's a little bit overkill for me uh, i would say the best thing this movie does uh, is all within the opening 15 minutes and uh and it acts as this inciting incident for the slasher to unfold uh i 100 honest here folks if there is a reason to even morbidly check out this movie in theaters or when it eventually comes to streaming it's for this initial for, uh, 15 minutes which is i uh, may be bold, so bold to say actually brilliant uh i i i think the way that it twists something we are so familiar with is just textbook very good horror design. Okay. So um, there's no 15 minutes of setup and everything's nice. Like no, when we jump into the film. We jump we, into that first Black Friday that kicks everything off okay. and then the main story is a year later. I see, then. I see. Sure. Why I give this so much praise out of the gate is that I feel like horror starts with the recognizable. Horror starts with what we can associate with. Sure. The horrors and vitriol of Black Friday are known to any consumer, uh, any American, and strike even more true for the you know any unlucky soul happening happening to work in retail on those days. <laughs> I feel like this has a a, uh, a stickiness like the menu had that it almost acts mm. as a cathartic film for the, um, the for the anyone industry. that works yeah, yeah, in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> Good horror starts with making it real for the audience. So by twisting this event, uh, all that already brings out the worst in people is one damn good idea. Um, best of all, it doesn't really take much twisting to create a realistic scene of chaos with security cam footage being identical to real videos many of us have seen and tramplings and things like that. It takes the slightest twist to actually make it horrific uh and the way that it does that is so um so easy to associate with as an audience i think any audience member uh to grasp why this is a horror and and actually get Mm -hmm. you know affected by it okay all right Uh, from there however uh i that that's where you know the disappointment comes in it becomes a very very by the book slasher stale in structure even though it's the first major one of its kind in a while uh, I imagine the writing process for this was just sitting in a room brainstorming every Thanksgiving-themed kill you could come up with and a significantly worse pun to right. be said right after it. So turkey in the oven, uh, you know, a parade. You know, these – it feels like once the – 
main stretch of the film gets going, so much of it is just, man, uh, kind of predictable. Sure, I guess yeah. there's maybe a uh, there's a giddiness that uh, a real true horror fan will get out of seeing these setups a mile away and and anticipating them. I found it to be bland and stale. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I don't feel like this is doing anything for the non horror fans that may be seeing this or maybe even the teen crowd going to see this just because it is the only horror uh, over the over the holiday, holiday weekend. weekend. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. I, I would say this effectively wears its '70s slasher inspiration on its sleeve, um, which is you know was the point of the original joke trailer as well. So glad to see that's come over. Um, mainly, I would say the the characters in this are are a highlight because there's just a huge amount of additional characters that are thrown our way to either be fodder for the slasher or misdirects on the inevitable mm. scream style who done it of who is the killer um who is john carver I, I think what really sunk it for me though was comedic tones um roth has a bad bad reputation for humor in his films okay so much so that his first film cabin fever a movie I haven't seen in like years and years and years uh, really is like destroyed in a modern watch of it just because of just how out of pocket his humor is. Okay. It's actually a decent it's, it's, like horror movie, it, but yeah. it really takes you out. No yeah. good. Now, this isn't like Glenn Campbell in um, <laughs> like the classic, whatever they're called. It's over the top and great to, uh, you know what I mean, uh, uh, no more. So he's, he's so frat. He's so bro in his comedy okay. that sometimes it hits in like a, you know, like a kind of like gut laugh <laughs> way and certainly hits in this being kind of a tongue in cheek sure. slasher. You know, it's almost a little self-aware of slasher parodies like a scream. But yeah, it's just it's his his comedy, his comedic style is so bro. OK, uh, it just gets really old and, and it's just significantly dumb <laughs> in a lot of areas. <laughs> um, there are more uh, f***s per capita than any movie I think I've experience in recent memory I, I i really haven't even now reflecting on it you mean f per minute yeah uh, per capita that each person is oh saying, oh, like, oh, 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 oh i see, I see. yeah, yeah. <laughs> per capita meaning like every character is saying <laughs> it. you know it's not even just like one like idiot character mm -hmm. or anything like that uh, this script also has some really 2023 specific jokes that i think will just age like milk in this i'll say this much like the the occasional kind of uh, smirk or, or I don't know what would you call it when you just like release you know air from your nose the, <laughs> like the yeah <laughs> what do you call that type of laugh the uh, I, that, uh, that's so it's less than a smirk. It, right. It, yeah, yeah. I don't even know what that is. It's an acknowledgement. Right. Yes. Uh, sure. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, occasionally that will get, it'll get a little bit of a smile out of me for its self-deprecating beats, but it's only because the script is just constantly throwing every, and I mean everything out there and just seeing what sticks to the walls. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, a perfect example is that. I feel like it leans into its Massachusetts vibes, and everyone's talking like, oh, you know, coffee. You know, it's it's like mm -hmm. the, the Sam Adams joke from uh, from SNL. Um, it even that is just done to such a it beats you over the head with it that um, uh, initially what I thought was kind of a funny through line to the jokes just gets old. Uh, the film is just constantly throwing I would hate that. puns and everything. Honestly, everything at the wall to see what sticks. So.
Uh, I want to give some points for Vision as it, it really is a true return to slasher roots in a way that uh, even imitators of it uh, wouldn't wouldn't be able to touch. This is a slasher. If you are into Friday the 13th, Halloween, you know, classic slashers like this, uh, this is a go-see for you. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, that falls in what is today just kind of a VFX nerd crowd. I say Fangoria. I don't even know if Fangoria is a, a magazine that still runs. But <laughs> it, it's for the people that seek out horror by any means. Uh, and that's where I don't think it'll pull any attention from non-fans of the subgenre. We're going to go ahead and give Thanksgiving a 56. Okay, 56. I'm kind of surprised it got above 50s. Really? Yeah, so good for it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was uh, enough in its execution that uh, I can say, ah, that's that's a well-made movie. Yeah, what do you and just the whole inception of the idea or how mm. it came to be with the whole Tarantino thing, this weird yeah. like mock production company but real and actually making content. Sure. The whole thing is interesting kind of. So. Yeah, yeah. Cool cool that it exists, but Yeah. You know, no thank you for so many of us. <laughs> actually, the only trailer remaining from the Grindhouse double feature yeah. uh, uh, because Machete uh, was the one. This was Thanksgiving. The only other one, I believe, was a tr fake trailer called Don't that was done by Edgar Wright. So I'm really hoping this will spawn Edgar Wright doing a, a Don't that would be or whatever. That, that would be, be awesome. You know, yeah. Uh, okay, Ben. All right. So 56 for Thanksgiving. Let's keep things going here. So we are jumping to uh, Next Goal Wins by Taika Watiti. And I think that we are fans. Of this guy? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, you know, on the rocks. I think everyone's on the rocks with Taika. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I would say still on the rise, but he's like big. But he's huge now. Oh, absolutely. So Watiti is for those of you who don't know or need to put an image with the face. Kind of, he's the guy who did what we do in the shadows. Mm -hmm. That original yep. film from New Zealand. Yep. Uh, he definitely helped create and write this show, What We Do in the Shadows. Yep. After yep. the film, HBO picked him up. He's doing the like the funny pirate show. Oh, really? So that just got picked <clears throat> up, and I think season two just came out. Mm. Few other projects. Few other. Oh, what am I saying? Uh, he did Marvel. Yes, uh, Thor Ragnarok. That's right. Um, <laughs> Marvel way Thor over. Love and Thunder. He's also, uh, you know, I would say maybe not primarily an actor, but his his personality is inseparable yeah. from uh, his style of movies, his style of comedy as well. I like that how he came to be was through success. Yes. Like what we do in the shadows was so good. Oh, yeah. And it took a little, some years for that to really catch fire and become, mm -hmm. a, become a classic kind of. And then it did, and now he's in it. I consider him to be as big, almost, as an Adam McKay or, wow. or uh, whatever his face. What's the study we just did? Oh, uh, Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow. Yeah, I understand he might not be that recognizable, yeah, yeah. but if you look at the amount of work that he's putting out, sure. it's kind of those guys in their heyday as well. Yeah, absolutely. How much projects they have. We're in his staying, staying power era. Yeah. That he's not, you know, he's almost uh, inescapable. Yeah, can't forget the best thing he did, which was the Belvedere. <laughs> Extended yeah, commercial. I think we my thunder. <laughs> we <laughs> did mention on the show already, I think. Uh, yeah. People, YouTube, Belvedere, Daniel Craig, you're very happy. I uh, listen, it, folks, this is no joke. Tom is, is like it, it's like <laughs> I got the, the DC fever. It is like a treaty was signed. He <laughs> he used to buy other types of vodka. He <laughs> buys Belvedere yeah. to the point that he brought booze I, over my place and it, <laughs> oh, he brought right. Belvedere. I was I like, what are you doing with this like, you know, this this expensive <laughs> Bougie, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're only Belvedere. Our, uh, we have a mutual friend as well. He is yeah. only a Belvedere household now. Wow, the treaty is signed. So anyway, so oh, 
man. Love Watiti. But anyway, those are some of the projects he did. That's how I view him right now. Yes. Just with this uh, amount of work mm. and also with the high, I don't, maybe not high quality, but he's in the big leagues doing yeah. HBO, doing big movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, people say that's the best thing. And then acting, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, he came out with this movie called Next Goal Wins. It's a soccer movie. Last time I heard about it was like doing like way back, just flipping through stuff, trying to find, put stuff on the newsletter. Mm. I didn't even see a trailer for this. Yeah. I wasn't aware it was coming out this weekend. I had to be reminded by looking at stills and being like, oh, that was going to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. But here it is. It's a brand new release. So mm-hmm. how is Next Goal Wins? And uh, yeah, how'd you like it? Uh, well, it, it, it's something that's getting torn apart a little bit oh, okay. <laughs> but I'm actually coming a lot more positive than what the kind of uh, group consensus is if you will among critics and fans um, the reason why I kind of came across this is that I think my understanding for Taika is that he is a love him or hate him type of personality and why okay. I generalize it to personality is again there's so much of his character uh, his shtick if you will yeah. in his directing in his acting it's it's all his brand, uh, which I think is honestly a key success point to why he is, uh, if anything, uh, among that comparison to Apatow and and, and McKay, uh, and uh, in so many things. Uh, This is a return of Watiti, both writing and directing after the, (laughs) what I'll call the new floor of the MCU, Thor Love and Thunder. I Uh, forgot he did that. (laughs) He did Ragnarok, which is considered one of the best Marvel Marvel films. Absolutely, but overstate its welcome. and uh, I mean, I guess we we have a friend that is uh, that that loves Thor: Love and Thunder. Yeah, he also loves to throw it in my face. <laughs> By the way, he is also the Belvedere guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you know who we're talking about. Uh, now. He's, he's a plant. He's, he's a Watiti plant. <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, but uh, you know, Taika almost overnight went from the internet's favorite director mm. to played out comedians still being thrown into things. I think this happens somewhere in between free guy and Thor love and thunder. He did free guy. No, he acted in free oh, okay, guy. Okay. Yeah. But, but still again, very on brand for his, his character, right? Um, his shtick. Uh, I, I think, I think that makes sense though. Yeah. Over yeah. saying the welcome people. It, it, it's, it, too much material they're asking him for. Mm, exactly, and they're 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 running him out. Sure, I forget he did. Um, was it Jojo Rabbit? Yeah, Jojo Rabbit, which people love. Right, right. I think that was the real last serious mark where people were all about him. That said, looking back in the Jojo Rabbit, critics really hated that film. Believe it or not, they didn't oh, like really? the 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 juggling of comedy and drama. Are we in though. the minority of that then? I think so. Oh, I think so. Okay, uh, and uh, you know uh, that that that's what really surprised me. Of, of where this kind of love or hate of his personality comes into play. Um, you know, I really enjoyed 2019's Jojo Rabbit. We gave that a 74. Uh, but uh, that was far before he kind of juggled cancer jokes in Thor. And I feel like something about the, the, the boundaries he tries to push in a comedic way, that's what pisses people off. That's where it's a, you know, so, such a drastic divide mm, okay. on some things. Okay. Um, and and uh, the Belvedere commercial. Which is like apparently universally loved. <laughs> With Dano Craig, give it a watch. That, that's that's the homework for everyone. It's the best listening. thing Tati has done in uh, <laughs> yeah. years. Apparently. Yes. Uh, but uh, all of this background is to highlight an issue that I have with the reception of this film specifically. Next goal wins. Uh, critics are bashing it for not going deeper with uh, its balance of serious issues and comedy. Uh, there is a lightly touched upon. 
uh, transgender storyline mm-hmm. that um, uh, I, I saw a lot of people critical over not having more depth. Uh, but I, I personally thought it hit a balance, especially if you see what this is structured as. This is structured as a family sports film. Um, you know, Next Goal Wins tells the mostly true story about a perpetually failing soccer team, American Samoa. Uh, they are dead last at uh, 204th in the International League, uh, and their team is an absolute laughingstock. Ma- Michael Fassbender plays the angry and combative soccer coach Thomas Rongen. Yeah, Rongen. Uh, and is the real center of the redemption story to the losing teams. Uh, the natives on the island um, play by a whole different set of rules, though, and he must learn to soften his militant approach and be flexible to make the most out of his hopelessly relaxed team. Uh, why I would position this as a family movie is that this feels like a throwback for so many things. Uh, within Taika's own work, this feels like the more family-friendly 2016's Hunt for the Wilder People. which was basically a kid's movie. Uh, And in addition, the structure of this underdog story feels like countless 90s and 2000s Disney movie where culture is the spotlight in addition to the sport uh, and really feels like one, too, in a a good way. I mean, uh, Thanksgiving was a slasher throwback. This was a throwback to that. Uh, For some reason, I could not get cool runnings out of my mind. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wow. I wish I should have had that in my head. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't beat me to it. The reason why. Was racing. I, <laughs> I see him as a rated R, uh, over the top, mm. not afraid to get adult humor comedy. Yes, that's how I kind of view him or what he does best. Now yeah. I get, I mean, he's doing Marvel films. He's in the PG thirteen role. Mm. When I saw this came about, you know, he does that HBO show too. Sure, sure. It's like more adult. So it surprises me. This is rated PG thirteen. Yes, it surprises. So it's not. Oh, it's not hard. You know what I mean? It's no. not a hard comedy. It, but I think it works in a much more pure way. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll return to it hmm. in the sense that uh, I think the PG-13 rating is actually a, a serious misstep in how this film was marketed and how it was positioned. I feel like though there is slight grit two characters. Yeah. Um, for instance, Fassbender has a, or, or rather Rogan, as a, as a real person, has a little bit of a drinking problem. It's touched on. It's moved on. Oh my God, that's John Candy and Cool Runnings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're right. Just an alcoholic right. in the bar and they pick him up. <laughs> right, wow. right. Um, uh, of course, this trans storyline, it's touched on, it's moved on. The, the scope of the film, the point of the film is a much more simple goal to be this culture spotlight and mix it with a sports story, right. just like Cool Runnings, just like countless Disney Channel, Disney movies in the 2000s. It's about taking a underdog story and also being a spotlight for a culture, in this case, uh, American Samoa. So, uh, in that throwback, I think it achieves it perfectly. If I was walking into this and thinking, uh, you know, Taika was trying to really achieve, um, you know, some, some dramatic through lines or anything like that, it would mm-hmm. be a different case. I think the film itself sets it up as a family-structured sports movie. Do you think it just would have been better if it was rated R? 
and more hardcore. No, no, exact opposite. I think really? it, okay. I think the critical misstep is that it wasn't rated PG. Uh, in that, so it goes even softer. Yeah, wow. uh, not not softer. Uh, really, the only thing you would have to tune is that in these. I, I don't know sports people, uh, but like <laughs> in this like almost tennis like rage yeah. that this coach has throwing chairs and yelling at. He the looks coach. good, Fassbender. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. In that moment, uh, in those moments, you have him cursing a lot. Strip the cursing yeah. or bleep it for comedic effect. You have a PG movie. I don't think anything else in this movie besides the again the slight tones of of dark that are thrown sure, in yeah. there for depth. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, there's really not much there holding it back from. It's family structure that it shoots for. It oh, really is a family. Interesting. Movie. Okay. So, uh, like I mentioned, this movie getting hate online. It's in addition to a little bit of the flip flop tone. Unfortunately, the writing also has a lot of shameless pop culture references. For me, though, the comedic performances were really solid and had some actually laughs out of me in my dead empty theater. <laughs> I mean, maybe I was comfortable because it was it was dead, <laughs> empty. But uh, I I think there there's something to the cuteness of this uh, film and, hmm. and how cute characters are. Oscar Knightley uh, is incredible in this. He doesn't really have much to his acting career. You know, I don't want to admit I I totally thought he was a different actor, a different <laughs> for a New Zealand actor for the whole time. You know, he he's really uh, the heart of all the local flavor jokes, all of the Samoan jokes. And I felt it was the core of why the upbeat tone works, because, again, it's equally trying to be this maybe even generic underdog story, safe underdog story yeah. and be a spotlight on the culture, on the island, what they do, you know, how they live, and yeah. why are they so happy and relaxed. So, OK, that's this Disney spin that I'm, I'm, I'm feeling from it. I know uh, what you're looking for. What? Kicking and screaming. <laughs> I suppose. PG. Yeah. Soccer. Sure. Crazy code. Will Ferrell goes crazy. Right. Crazy coach. Right. But it's just more family. It's more hard. Sure. sure. It loses the it loses the island spin to it. Yeah. I, I, yes. Okay. Yeah. But, but that's what we're talking about <laughs> yeah, here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I, I think it's a, it's a perfect point because it puts it in the context of how this movie should be seen, yeah. not for its dramatic stones. I think Taika has a knack for creating hysterical bit characters that really shine in the background of his comedy. That is in these locals of the island. There's a little boy named Armani that probably doesn't say three lines, but boy, was he just used in such comedic timing perfection um, that it always got a laugh out of me. It's the uh, little stuff where he knows where how to hit. Yes. What Titi knows how to hit in the little stuff. Yeah. And in those roles. Yeah, yeah. At the it, same it, time, he plays a character within the film uh, that is a pastor that makes pop culture movie jokes. So I can see why people are just equally annoying yeah, with the comedy. Yeah. I feel like, again, you know, not to be a broken record, but the family context is where this works. Wow. So, um, and, and, and that goes back to my original thoughts on this. Um, you know, the biggest missed opportunity is the PG-13 rating. Fassbender's wow. character is constantly losing his shit, and it's primarily for his cursing, but there is... The th floating story threads of alcoholism and his anger are not worth the PG-13 rating. The story has so much of a softer destination for how things play out, so much of a feel-good, hmm. safe destination for it. I actually feel this is one of the better family movies I've seen in a while. Wow. Uh, and, and, I, and that's where I would recommend it in that same space that so many of these Disney sports movies once lived uh, while still having a modern edge to stay fresh. We're going to go ahead and get 
give next goal wins a 64. Wow. Okay, Vin. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know about, I didn't know much about the film, but I'm just shocked by a lot of that. I think kind of, and and this comes for folks at home. Look at the, the, the poster for this. And I feel like how much the soccer team is even a family right. is, is, right. is is it wears it on its sleeve so when uh, what i was surprised at uh, people really giving this film a lot of flack and saying oh uh, you know Tyke's done you know we're not we're you know it's 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 over i don't know i feel There's like this there. was a soft return to something a little bit more level headed and uh uh, I, I'm just surprised that people didn't see it for what it was, you know? Okay. Well, I'm glad you saw it. That, yeah. That's really surprised. Did you uh, – were you surprised walking away from it? Absolutely. Having this thing. Absolutely. Saying that it shouldn't be rated – I mean, if, if one big thing that we have sometimes is just like it should have been rated R. <laughs> right, you're right. You know what I mean? Where this was the first time probably wow. ever I said should have been rated PG. That's pretty cool though. Yeah. yeah. All right. And 64 uh, – 64 is – you know, that's a good movie for I think us. so. 64 is not a Rotten Tomato 64. Exactly. Don't let the 64 scare you away. I feel like the 64 is more illustrated of that it's yeah it's just a family sports movie With, uh, yeah. you know what I mean it's it's not really trying much more than that but uh, that's also not a critique for that reason uh, did the music help move the movie along or did the music help set the atmosphere uh, I think so uh, more than anything just the setting is is okay. really toned in to be a dive into the Samoan culture uh, and, okay. uh, and also like small things that are uh, very innocent and yeah they're moved past quickly there's still something to expose us to the culture of the island, uh, how they practice their religion, for instance, uh, how they have a little bit of time during the day that the, that they all rest. Uh, you know, little things like that, I feel like, made a good family film because it was about being exposed to a new lifestyle. You okay. know what I mean? So. Um, okay. All right. Yeah. The reason why I bring up the music is Michael Giacchino did it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I was, a, I was a pretty big guy to be doing a film I like didn't that. even catch that. <laughs> All right. We're going to keep this going here. Let's move on to new release, of course. This is our rated R. This is Saltburn. Mm. And uh, I was putting this on the site and everything, and I was a little interested in, in this. Yeah. And yeah. so it's this a, movie is a buzz machine. Yeah. Right it's, now. it's a large cast. I think it came from nothing. And just like you said, it, the buzz is continuing this. It's, it's huge. It's kind of keeping it alive so yeah let's get into salt burn tell us about it and how'd you like it yeah so salt burn i mean this is a hard pivot uh, i mean we go from basically family movies bookending salt burn because <laughs> you go from <laughs> nickel wins to this to then wish that we'll cover so uh this is this is not a family film <laughs> this is about <laughs> as far as a family film as you can get uh this is the second film from actress director and writer emerald fennel uh, many loved her genre bending film promising young woman in 2020, a dark mix of a revenge thriller and rom-com with a solid performance from Carrie Mulligan. Uh, unfortunately, I was not one of them, sadly. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, we covered it. Yeah, yeah. Not digging the mix of genres. And if you're curious on my expanded thoughts, uh, you know, we covered that movie on a super early podcast episode. And heads up, I went back and listened to it. Really not the best, but I stand by all my reviews. <laughs> What do you mean not the best? Uh, I, I almost got a panic attack about how unorganized my notes were. <laughs> how unorganized my thoughts were. <laughs> that it was like, is this legible? I, I don't know if I stand by it, but no, I stand by it. What episode was that? How, how early? I, I think it was like episode uh, single digits. I think it was seven. Or? Oh, that's like we weren't even live yet. Yeah, we, exactly. We were, we were stacking them up. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. So rough. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but scrambled points or not, I stand by it. And I really do feel the same. And, you know, I, I get to what I want to talk about in the review eventually is in that the mixing of these genres erodes at the ending. And unfortunately, this is where I have a problem with Fennel's writing uh, once again here in Saltburn. Uh, I was hearing hype for this film far before I learned of Fennel's involvement at oh. all. No less her writing and directing once again. And I say in confidence, after seeing this film, Fennel's stories just might not be for me. I take issue with the conclusions of her films uh, in both of these instances. And in this case specifically, it seems like she wants a big razzle-dazzle ending without doing the work to build it up and actually build up the logic of where the story is going. Okay. She doesn't earn it. She doesn't earn the ending then. I don't think so. Uh, uh, Not to knock Sofia Coppola, but similar in a way that Sofia didn't stick the landings with her, uh, with her stories. Uh, Here, it's not sticking the landings. It's that the landing is jerked to, uh, you know, uh, 90 degrees and the movie wasn't, you know, building up to it and it feels (laughs) cheap in my opinion. So is this a genre build? Well, uh, you can just get into it. Sure, <laughs> you'll yeah. get into it and tell us about it. Saltburn uh, is a, a very, very chaotic mix okay. of things. So uh, <laughs> y- your questions are, are, are well earned uh, <laughs> as far as how this movie actually plays out. Uh, it's self-described as a dark comedy psychological thriller. I would definitely add romance to that, if only to single the signal, the heavy sexual themes here. We focus on the Oxford class of 2006. Many scenes feeling like a 2000s throwback. That's the that's the phrase of the day throwback this also continues fennel's love of pop music needle drops constantly in her films uh this having all retro kind of 2006 uh mgmt kind of music electro pop oliver quick is a nerd and out of his element among the the posh student base he becomes uh, obsessed with felix catton seemingly the coolest guy on campus and the lengths of this obsession creeping in more and more as the runtime goes on. Uh, Their friendship flirts the line with romance, and when Oliver is hit with a sudden tragedy, he is consoled and invited to Felix's family estate, Saltburn. Uh, and this is where the story really comes into its own. Uh, All the Oxford stuff, a lot of setup, interesting setup, uh, I was on board probably a good 90% of this movie. Oh. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. You know, once uh, they get to this lavish country mansion, that's where the film kind of shows its true colors as games of deception are played in a summer filled with promiscuity. Uh, I'll come right out and say it. This is a... A very, very horny movie. (laughs) This is uh, needlessly horny, uh, with a lot of scenes being voyeuristic rather than being outright sexual. Uh, Does that make sense? Uh, Yeah. It's like desire, but unacted desire. Does that make sense? Yeah, and okay, so lust. It's, it's yeah, a bunch, a bunch yeah. of younger characters right. lusting for one another. Exactly. Okay, yeah, exactly. Sure. You know, this, this summer madness that takes over this vacation um, also poises uh, sex as more of a power or control dynamic. This has uh, been compounded, and I really mean compounded, by the marketing for the film, which has flamed the romance among cast post-production, uh, almost intentionally so, and, and is proving to be very successful in... in 
highlighting a film that would be otherwise lost in the shuffle among so many, so many releases being pushed back or just coming out for Q4 of 2023. In my opinion, the film feels like a darker spin on 2017's Call Me By Your Name, mm. especially with the gay overtones. My opinion is that it's this film, Saltburn, is lacking the strong theming that was so great in Call Me By Your Name. This is also in addition to some sprinklings of the movie Killing of a Sacred Deer from the same year for how deceitful characters are, especially in our shared lead of Barry Cohen, who has been on a, I'll say, meteoric rise mm -hmm. uh, from being flirted as the Joker in the Pattinson Batman uh, series that is still going to be going on. Uh, and really? As, and as well, an Oscar nom. You didn't know about this? I didn't know he was being prepped to be Joker. Yeah, there was a deleted scene. Uh, how quickly we get snapped back to the <laughs> superheroes. There was a deleted scene in the Batman that uh, he was uh, an anonymous prisoner in the real run of the movie, in the th theatrical run. Yeah, uh, he was laughing, basically. That's right. It. Yeah. Uh, there was a deleted scene where he interviews him Hannibal Lecter style and asks for questions. Oh, I heard about that. Yep. And um, it was him? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh, you no. don't like that? I don't know. I like him. I mean, you know, he was... I know I've seen him in a, a bunch of movies sure. where he was in. I can't think of many right now. Uh, I mean, he was in Dunkirk. <laughs> right, sure. Dunkirk. Uh, he got the Oscar nom last year for Banshees and, and Asheran. Um, ah, that's right. Right. Yeah, supporting, right. yeah. Yeah, but he, he kind of always falls into these, like, I don't know how you goofy. describe it. Not goofy. Awkward. Uh, yeah, definitely Awkward. Recluse, almost. Okay. Uh, little, you know, off, off characters. Yeah. yeah okay. You know, something odd about them. So, but a meteoric rise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, uh, off of this Oscar nom, this is the first major thing that he did, and I feel like again, this plays into a hype machine. This plays into how dark his character is. It's really kind of perfect casting, um, and that's a good jumping-off point to talk about uh, a lot of exciting casting here, which uh, could strike for a lot of audiences. Um, though I was displeased with this film, I don't want to discredit a pretty dynamite cast mm -hmm. that may just do it regardless of even if you care about the ending or not. May right, just, just do it for the ensemble on screen. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, like we talked about, Barry Cohen is uh, is just surprisingly consistent, uh, proving himself nearly every second on the screen in his films, and. Uh, this being the first since his Oscar nom. Uh, we returned with Jacob Elordi uh, coming off of his recent Elvis fame and uh, sporting more accent work. I guess he's going to be known for accents. Uh, but I have no doubt audiences will care if that accent work is good or bad <laughs> because they're <laughs> focused on something else with Elordi. <laughs> we return with Archie Medwicky, who was the lead role in Gran Turismo this summer, who was far from the worst thing about that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick side note, that was actually... Uh, uh, a review I went back and listened to. I think that's a damn good review. I think the, that was... the, the notes were set up on that one. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, but you like I was lucid uh, for, for that one. Uh, yeah, something about that that review I really enjoyed, and even there, our dialogue yeah. with, with um, uh, Blancamp and, and shit like that. Oh yeah, yeah. It, there wasn't a lot out at that time too, so yeah. it's just you know, and it was one of the few movies really that were kind of coming out then. Yeah, because it was I, a bit of a trickle of a summer. Yeah, honestly, absolutely. And really, the only reason I listened back to that is I had to remind myself whether I actually did think Madwicky was oh, was good or bad. Or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which we didn't really mention him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, again, more acting pedigree. Roseman Pike is yet another lead role stolen into an ensemble cast from Amazon's Wheel of Time series. Which, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I hear that that. 
I'm not saying I would ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would ever jump Have into a time. big series without checking with multiple people, you most of all. <laughs> <laughs> but I hear very mixed things on that Wheel of Time series, mostly because of the of a hardcore fan group of the books. Right. And I bet uh, those are the only people who actually really like it. <laughs> or watching. Right. Because, well, I mean, they spent one of the most expensive TV productions ever, yeah. Wheels of Time. Yeah, yeah. Or Wheel of, not Wheels of Time. Wheel of Time. Oh. And nobody... <laughs> I don't think anybody watches it. Yeah. And they just pump, continue to pump money and they push it and push it. Right. It's very Amazon to spend a bunch of money and then (laughs) it probably sucks and only the true, true hardcore fans are watching. Yeah. And because like true hardcore fans, just like Lord of the Rings with me and Amazon, Mm -hmm. I'm going to watch the first season four times. Sure. And be angry the entire time through it. So it's also Right. If you give me one nugget, it's like, ooh, ooh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It all gets better for a little bit. Roseman Pike, by the way, but I like, I like her. Her character there and like with her voice, Mm-hmm. I feel like she's off. She's in this pool of like uh, Dern. Mm. Who's the Dern? Uh, purple hair, Star Wars. Uh, Lord, Lord Dern. Dern. Yep. Uh, I think. Wow. She- How that purple hair has haunted her career. <laughs> I. I, uh, I mean, it I'm haunts not defend- us. Yeah. It haunts us. <laughs> um, but I feel like she's in this pool of actresses, and she, I. I like Rosamund Pike. Where I, yes. I'm annoyed with some others, like Lord Dorn, not the biggest four. Sure. Um, oh, that, what am I saying? Is it Winslet, the one who does not Winslet, mm. who does the AMC? Married to the Australian oh, or is Australian? Oh, God. Why can't I think of her name? Uh, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, so anyway, she reminds me of a Laura Dern and... Nicole Kidman. And Nicole Kidman. All I kind feel, of in the same space. I feel like these three are probably fighting constantly for the same role. I mean, mm. maybe not even know sure, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I see them as almost interchangeable in a certain way mm. uh, with their age, their cadence, the yep. way they deliver lines Absolutely. sometimes. But Roseman Pike just... Hits for me. Yeah. She played, I liked her in Hostiles, which oh. I know nobody really liked or saw. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I think she just played her role really well there. Yeah. She just, she's, she's good. Yeah. She does exactly what she needs to do. Absolutely. And I think, I think across the board, the, the acting is great here. I feel like the mind games and these characters uh, pull you in again for uh, what I would say most of the, <laughs> the female heavy audience in my theater was for. These the sexual tones of the tension between characters and the tension between these um, uh, between this kind of like summer madness, almost Shakespearean vibe to it. Uh, but on top of that as well is that each of these characters is something, someone that you want to unpack uh, and someone who want to see why, how do they kind of coexist? So many strong personalities uh, and so many manipulating personalities as well. Mm-hmm. Um, last note on cast. Uh, uh, would be Carrie Mulligan even coming back to work uh, with Fennel yes. again, which is great to see. I would love to see if Mulligan is is Scorsese De Niro, yeah, yeah, exactly. Scorsese Leo, yeah, exactly. Tarantino so, Jackson, yeah. I, I, I would I would personally love to see that because I think Mulligan is a good actress. The last two, you know, uh, Promising Young Woman, and then also she said on the podcast uh, we've we thrown a lot of hate her way. I do like her as an actress though, so uh, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for her. And I was excited to see yeah. her in this. I love that. Yeah, this is. A very young kind of showcasing cast. Mm, I mean, yeah. showcasing as far as, hey, these are our up-and-comers, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then you have, we have Rosamund Pike playing kind of the elder stateswoman. Sure, yeah. And then we also have, who's the main guy as well? Kind of playing that, the older I, gentleman. I, I forget his name. I've never really known his name, though. Uh, uh, okay, okay. Richard Grant. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I'd like, I don't know. 
I like that another we... who is another a Star Wars sequel throwback. He's the general. He's the new general <laughs> in in oh, uh, episode nine. This well, review is all I'm, over the I place. Know, oh my god! I'm sorry, I took you down. Oh my god! Tangents. But what I'm what I'm trying to say is, I, I don't For know the, the reaction. If Emerald Fennel ever listened to this, the the <laughs> tangents to Marvel and Star Wars. Uh, wow, is just eroded. I don't think she's going to become a producer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially I started off with hating both of her movies. Um, I, I like what she's doing here, which is taking a cast that maybe a lot of people don't know, or it's just like, mm. oh, there's that guy, there's yep. that, there's that girl from that, from this, and this. Mm-hmm. These are upcoming actors, and they all kind of are, aren't bad. Yes. And I like her doing this thing. You have like you have Rosamund Pike, then you have Grant there. Yep. As just like the heavy hitters, but. It, it, it's a fun I can only assume this is a fun cast sure. to watch and at least like have a good time with and, and that's where I bring it up I think even if you're with me by the end of this watching at home folks or watching the theaters if, if you get around to it and, and saying ah, I, I, I totally get what Vin meant with the conclusion I still think there's a lot of enjoyment to be had in that cast and, and, right. and as a draw for that cast so I have a nitpick uh, that uh, there is a useless style that this film has that is just kind of a, a mess of things. There's a useless 4 by 3 aspect ratio, a letterboxing on the film that does little for the style. Uh, folks, my bar will always be the lighthouse on how to actually use that uh. to elevate storytelling. Uh, and here it does nothing to elevate the experience. Mm. Add this to some bold lens choices, which I appreciated. There's a really cool reflected shot of Barry Cohen. It's it's basically like like kind of creating a reflective, almost crystalline type of look to him. A mash of quirky styles that that come off from this just feel messy. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'm an old man. Maybe the TikTok generation will love all these filters and, you know, I mean, styles thrown at it. Um, but uh, the reason why I would dare throw out a word like poser when mm. it comes to these, you know, this mash of styles is that you actually see that the movie is perfectly modern in its editing and it feels fully modern and contrast with these retro camera choices and lens choices and, and letterboxing. Uh, I think also a missed opportunity is to lean into the mid 2000s stylings. You know, part of why I loved the holdovers a few weeks ago is because it felt like a movie from its time period. Right, right. Um, quick flashback to Thanksgiving. Uh, guess what? That was another one that didn't feel like a movie from its time period. Structure, yes, a slasher. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel like an actual 70s, you know, slasher. Yeah, it's it's bells and whistles. It's almost like maybe she's throwing just stuff at the wall because she knows she can do this effect. So yeah. it's, it's trying to be trying to be cool trying to be exactly yeah it's using a four by three aspect ratio because uh it's in style and because you're going to be associated with like indie vibes a24 vibes yeah to yeah it. you know it's it's using all these different lenses because uh, you know cinematographers now are obsessed with just distinguishing themselves mm-hmm. as much as possible mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and, and that's where i i think it's just like it's so many stylistic choices and none of them really having any kind of thematic tie for me to unpack or at least that i could tell uh, it just felt a little a little poserish. So, uh, without spoilers, though, I cannot unpack much more. Sadly, uh, I think it tries to juggle a lot of different styles and comes out weak in nearly all of them because the story doesn't solidify that conclusion 
doesn't have time to set. Uh, sometimes it's a horny romance, sometimes it's a duplicitous mind game, and sometimes it's a pop nostalgia piece. But most of the times, it's not doing anything to build on where the story inevitably goes. I wouldn't take issue with this if that razzle-dazzle wasn't rushed at the end. Uh, more specifically, the logic of the conclusion and the amount of hand-waving that is done towards the conclusion of the story is manipulative to give a shocking ending and that once again, in itself, comes off weak. We're going to go ahead and give Saltburn a 59. Okay, 59% for Saltburn? Yeah, okay. I feel like 59 wears a lot of hats but something recently 59 has been for me is a very disappointing ending you know not sticking the landing right you know yeah, yeah. the ending is paramount you know yeah and, and 59 again it's just it, it's just money territory maybe this is for somebody but for the bulk of audiences, not so much, probably. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> if you were attracted to any of these characters, okay. these, these people, <laughs> I, I think that that's the audience. What, for theater this. experience? Were people engaged? Were people uh, laughing or? or? Uh, not really laughing. Uh, there was actually some gasps at some okay. of the more uh, sexually provocative moments. Okay, sure. And, and that's what I mean with that. I, I think um, uh, this is an interesting date night movie, uh, and and probably the ones that want to see it are driven. Are, are the ones that are going to fall into the demographic of the marketing of Jacob Elordi and Barry Cohen maybe kissing on a red carpet mm -hmm. uh, or mm -hmm. uh, playing into the kind of the promiscuous mind games that happens between all of the yeah. characters. Yeah, okay. Uh, so... All right. Okay. So 59 for Saltburn. We're going to run long this week. Um, <laughs> let's keep things going then. We are going to jump into the latest Disney flop. <laughs> this movie is called Wish. Uh, do people know about it? Are people aware that Disney just came out with a very expensive, very big animated film? I don't know. <laughs> right, uh, right. It's called Wish. It's directed by Chris Buck. Uh, again, this whole co-director uh, yes. slash two directors on, these di on this Disney movies. Yeah. Chris yeah. Buck and Fawn, uh, Vera Sunthorn. Yes. And you can only imagine that we will see Fawn in the future on the lead directing role sure. of something as sure. they are in this cycle. Uh, Wish, I believe, was around $200 million budget, mm. just like Disney has been. Absolutely failing, failing at the box office. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Obviously, I'm not the one being marketed to. I know there's a big marketing budget for it. Sure. But something isn't going right. Yeah. Uh, there's a bigger thing culturally going on at Disney, mm -hmm. but also just these films and what they're doing and how they're promoting them and getting out mm -hmm. there is not happening. Yeah. And this is Disney property. This is from Disney Animation Studios, yes. not Pixar Disney. Uh, bingo, bingo. Uh, I don't know how much that matters because Pixar wasn't doing so hot either. With, with, with uh, yeah, it, the, the lines always blur, certainly, and it really shouldn't be that way, but they absolutely do blur. Yeah. Uh, and, and almost it, it seems like Disney Animation is um, uh, getting its lunch eaten by Pixar on the more uh, electric ideas and even, even the fidelity of how their movies uh, look. You, well, and Pixar is the king. Sure. Of typically of like here is our big thing of the year but right. I, 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 there's something about oversaturation and sure. too much for one year for mm -hmm. people to sink their teeth into and enjoy but we'll get into it a little bit more let's just start right away this is Wish why don't you set it up for people who don't know about it uh, I wasn't aware of it yeah, you know yeah. and I'm usually you know I think I knew something might have been coming out sure but again I, I'm in the, I've got my toe in the in the movie world <laughs> the, you know, the newsletter every the newsletter. week yeah. yeah I'm going through the, the, the stuff and I'll tell you what these things come and go yeah. and not a lot 
lot of buzz, not a lot of chatter on it. Yeah, and this one was getting a lot of hate for uh, a couple different reasons, um, which is interesting. And it feels like new hate for this type of movie. So, uh, But like you introduced, like we talked about before, and and for folks at home, if you're not familiar, Disney does this thing where there's this uh, chain link directing style uh, for new Disney IPs, kind of uh, training wheels, if you will. Include a seasoned director, in this case, Frozen's juggernaut, Chris Buck. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, Chris Buck walks into the boardroom. You know it's going to be fire. (laughs) (laughs) Having a rising animation talent co-direct, which in this case uh, is uh, Fawn versus Sunthorn. Initially, I thought this was going to be a lot worse, uh, being pitched as an origin story for the line, When You Wish Upon a Star, for Disney's 100th anniversary, which this marks. Mm -hmm. And I would say, luckily, that's not really the case. It's purely its own thing. Um, If anything, uh, there are some cool throwbacks to retro-looking magic that felt reminiscent of Fantasia or earlier Disney works, uh, and I feel are purely stylistic. Uh, Certainly not going to be noticed by general audiences, and certainly not going to be noticed by the target demographic of of literal children, mm-hmm. you know, seeing, you know, a classic looking, you know, gold sparkle Disney magic, you know, stream out of something right, right now. Um, this does, however, feel oddly plain uh, with accusations online of it being AI driven in a few areas. And personally, what I noticed was how bland and safe the story felt in a bad way, uh, especially compared to Disney's and uh, Disney animations, previous film, strange world, which tried so many adventurous things in its uh, social justice commentary in how its characters were depicted and even being a, kind of a wacky story yeah. you know, being a sci-fi, you know, new sci-fi. IP, you know, doomed to fail, basically. And it did. So it feels like Wish is a direct reaction, a real back, a gut reaction to the hate that they received. Obviously, Wish has had to be in production way before that, but I feel like a lot uh, was just so low-hanging fruit and so safe that it was like, is this, this is a nothing film in a lot of ways. It's such a shame. I mean, yeah, I think with Disney, oftentimes these things take three to four years. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely been in the pike for a while. Sure. But, man, it's just one after another after another with yeah. this. Uh, I, even, I forget what the last Disney one was. I mean, of course, we had Haunted Mansion, but full animation film. Strange World last year. I thought there was uh, something in November. between. Um, well, Elemental, but that would be Pixar. Ah, yeah. yeah well, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's but interesting it, it, because it goes back to what we talked about with like Turning Red and even Elemental that they're going, they're they're trying to go for these um, these stories with a lot of depth and a lot of social commentary, which I don't necessarily mm-hmm. mind. But it feels like again reactionary. This is so overtly safe. And so bland that that's where a lot of the hate online is coming from, that it's beneath Disney. Oh, uh, I bet it is. Yeah. I bet it is. I, there's a lot of generic stuff going on. It's, it's, you know, what Disney was about just ultimate imagination, step into a whole new world. Mm, yeah, super, yeah. You know, just a complete fantasy of amazing things and wonder and enjoyment for kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now Disney just feels like soulless corporate. <laughs> yeah, for real. And that's, these are the projects we're getting. For real. Absolutely. And when people fall on the sword over – 
trying to defend these films. It's just like, do you understand the corporate overlords that are you know, who is trying playing to defend it? this? Anyway, yeah. Oh, plenty, plenty, well, absolutely. Well, they're not going to buy the, tickets. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, they'll, the, they'll type online, but yeah. they won't go actually watch it based on based on the box <laughs> oh, office sure, numbers. Absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, so, so, what is this about exactly? Yeah, it, in Wish, we're set in a utopian city of roses, uh, which is home to a wish-granting king named Magnific Magnifico, uh, a powerful mage that conjures magic from the city's desires. Uh, Asha is our main character uh, and is a young girl who, you know, uh, loves her family dearly and wants nothing more to see them happy. After she goes after a job to be by the king's side, though, uh, she only discovers that he might not be handling everyone's wish with the same character, uh, with the same care. I should say. In desperation, she wishes upon a star and a little cute star creature. I, 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 I scoured the internet for the name of the star creature, by the way. I think it's just called Starry. Okay. Uh, comes down to help her to build the courage to be there for everyone's wishes. Largely inoffensive. And honestly, I think the hate that this movie is getting online... I'm not saying I disagree with it. I'm not saying I don't see the cracks to it, but I feel like this is still on the positive side of the ratings for me because of how much, uh, how, how, how acceptable it is. It's still not falling below a margin uh, of quality. It's, uh, like, it's like water. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's really hard to get excited about, but it's... Yeah. If I like want to be bad. critical and maybe where uh, p passions flare when talking about the legacy of Disney animation is that I would closely, closer compare this to like a cocoa melon, that it's noise for a child. Mm. Cute noise, noise that gets a reaction and laughs out of them, and they might even remember, but not the heights of 90s Disney renaissance or really anyone's favorite Disney film. And I think that's where these passions flare online. Uh, a perfect example is this little star character is the best part about the movie. It's just so cute. It's <laughs> like it's like Thumper from, uh, from Bambi. It's like uh, any type of scene-stealing quality that Disney has to its old side characters. And I, I, I really love Starry for, for so much of the film um there's also a talking goat valentino which was also a big hit for nearly every child in the theater uh and and voiced by alan tudyk uh shout out to firefly i always like seeing him he does a lot of voice acting work so he does do a lot of voice acting yeah he's in stuff too he's a, he'll pop in once in a while oh yeah? yeah yeah this coming from chris buck i think makes perfect sense though uh, as uh, the film is packed and i mean packed with songs reminiscent of frozen much how both of the frozen movies have a larger emphasis on these narrative soundtracks. Uh, I don't know if that's a good way to officially refer to them, but um, I guess you know all kind of Disney movies like this are narrative soundtracks. Here there is just a huge collection of songs for nearly every character. People suspect, and this is one of the one of the arrows being slung at Wish, people suspect that one of the areas, or rather that this is one of the areas that AI had a hand to play. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. in crafting the songs. But personally, I think the style of the songs 
are, are just being driven by Disney wanting another big Frozen soundtrack and the loads of money to come with it. If an AI did assist in it and, you know, they, they, they plug into it and say, hey, pump out a, a Broadway sounding, a Frozen sounding uh, soundtrack where there's like the, almost a talking dialogue within the songs themselves, uh, I think it's still acceptable in the sense that Disney's intentions are still going to be, hey, we want another Frozen soundtrack because that's sold so much. It's yeah. just, it followed the money. Uh, you know, it's that simple. Yeah, but it if there's no heart behind it, I don't know. It, it's it's trying to do something not because the thing works. Mm. You know, it's it's just trying to have the outcome sure. without actually putting in the effort of what that means sure. or how to get that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll actually, I'll touch on that kind of same theming in Napoleon a oh, little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's I, confusing because I, I, I see what you're saying because, mm. like, well, the formula works. Yeah. You know, we know that this kind of stuff works. It's just incredibly bland. It doesn't exactly hit all the way. Yeah. It's what this sounds like this film is. Mm-hmm. For me, as an outsider looking in, because I didn't see the film, mm. it, it, it's just also, it's hard not to carry the most, the, this recent Disney baggage, mm, which is yes. garbage. It's yes. a bag of garbage. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rushed, low quality. And, and that's exactly where uh, I, I personally take issue with the film. And folks, I, I just have to be real here as a fan of animation. And yeah. I feel with, yep. with now a good repertoire of different animation projects that I've commented on and the industry of animation, whatnot, I think the art style here just looks like ass it is not good you know the quality of this film is what you always say tom it looks like a ps2 game (laughs) (laughs) you know there's a mix of doesn't look good if cell shading on the cgi that makes i guess a slight brush stroke or perhaps even a water a water colored quality to it but in comparison to what is coming out of and I mean this, nearly any other animation shop where almost everyone is achieving something new and exciting, whether Mm, it's Sony Animations with Spider-Verse, whether it's the newest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like uh, whether it's DreamWorks with... um, Puss and Boots. uh, push and boots, but also what was the was the bad guy? Uh, bad guys. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Wow, well, was... Bad guys was Sony. Uh, no, I think. Oh, I think that was DreamWorks. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're getting. You, Either you way, liked it. every other animation stop is I mean, trying back, C- new things. CBC kind of like yeah, going absolutely. all the way back. 2008's Claws, yeah, which we covered I think a couple years ago. Fantastic you like that? callback. Absolutely. Yeah. To have Papa Disney look like the cheap and rushed out yeah. pier yeah. is. I think that's where it, it, I wish people were, were kind of, you know, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I, I just can't get over $200 million. And yeah. this isn't Disney plus, right? It would yeah. almost be like, Oh, it's a Disney plus thing. Yep. Okay. I, as much as I had issues with turning red yeah. when I had issues with turning red, <laughs> right. it almost seems like that was a better made film than this. Sure. Absolutely. Looks absolutely. Wise, looks wise at least. Absolutely. I would even, even compare to the, uh, the Pixar Disney blurred line, uh, of elemental, uh, I would say elemental even was, uh, was, was better. Uh, yeah, I mean, more thoughtful. More, exactly, more, yeah. exactly. So, uh, just very disappointing. Uh, and that, as an animation nerd, someone that believes we should study animation just like any other film, uh, it's just very disappointing. Uh, disappointing being the word of 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 just how exactly how I feel 
ideal of of animation shop that should be the peak. Uh, no mm-hmm. questions about it, yeah. you know, period. Overall, it's a very straightforward message to hold on to your dreams. And I feel like for the reception of these films, Disney is damned if you do, damned if you don't. If they make a bold message that maybe has a little bit of social justice sprinklings in it, the audiences, the audience will call them woke garbage and drag them through the Internet. Uh, then if they play it safe, well, guess what? Critics will tear them apart, too, for being too generic. And that's why I feel like this film hits. Uh, don't get me wrong, I can spot the faults in this movie, but I have to be realistic and say, does any of this matter to the little kid losing his mind laughing Mm. in theater about a talking goat? I mean, this kid was so, he goes, oh, wow, he's funny. Like, he was enjoying himself so much out of of the the lowest hanging fruit of a talking goat with a funny voice. You know what I mean? I, 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 the perfect counterexample to this is that when I saw Lightyear, the theater was dead. There was That's no right. laughing. There was nothing. Yeah. Despicable Me uh, uh, sure. 37. Yeah. Right, with the weird 70s disco vibe. Right. Yeah. I, I think reviewing these films blurs the line on what purpose a critic really has, and I say that even critically of myself. I personally... When I hear enjoyment out of a theater, it makes me consider how this movie hits more than my critical outlook on it. And I still think, again, as safe as it is, as maybe plain as it is, it's still hitting for the kids in a lot of cute ways, whether it be a star character or a talking goat. We're going to go ahead and give Wish a 52. Okay, 52 in this puddle here. In the puddle. Just, just a, a two ticks above uh, <laughs> complete mediocrity. <which> is <laughs> right, right. Uh, wow, I'm almost surprised that that's not lower. I thought that was Destin's yeah. for 30s or 40s. Sure, uh, sure. Just doing reading up on it and just the lack of enthusiasm yeah. behind this thing. And again, just the bad box office. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm looking at it now. What? I mean, it's at... It's at that 50 million worldwide? <laughs> and 200 million. I mean, that's terrible. There is, especially uh, tacking on to this Disney 100th anniversary uh, oh, release. Oh, 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 embarrassing. Sure. I mean, this is the 100th anniversary. Sure. 100th anniversary. Sure. They already pushed back, what's it called? With uh, with, Red, with Rachel Zegler or whatever. Oh, Which was the right, big right. one. Yeah, yeah. Snow um, White and the, and Yes, the, the live action one. Yeah. Because yeah. that was the first film ever made. It was Disney's, mm, you know, yeah. arrival, essentially. Absolutely. They pushed back. That's like 2026 now? Or wow. 2025. 2025, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So I, I think that that marketing budget is well, probably matching that two hundred million. I mean, we're probably four hundred million the whole. Yeah, maybe. This. Yeah. <laughs> well, they always say you have to double it. That's yeah, that's yeah. kind of the easy thing to say. Yeah. Um. What a shame. Yeah. Uh, what a shame. I would. I hope Disney. <laughs> should. It is. It's sad. You know what I mean, though, with the damned if you do, damned if you don't. I no, mean, I feel that's, like no, that's no. A, it's a cop out. Mm. You're saying damned if you do. Okay, damn if you do, don't, damn if you don't. You're saying because okay. Disney getting with the woke stuff and touching on cultural topics and stuff, sure. you say, okay, well, then the right's going to go online, trash them, mm-hmm. and you're going to lose half that audience sure, or that sure. audience. Then if then they try to play it safe and go super boring and you have something like this. Mm, then the critics hate it. But the uh, how about this? Stick with original, awesome Disney. Mm, okay. I mean, is I that so it, easier said than done, apparently? I, <laughs> I mean, and that's why we're getting Toy Story 5. That's why, uh, that's why yes, we're getting exactly. Frozen 3. Exactly. Because the well is dry. Right. The well's dry, but also it's it's following the money. They, You know, it's it's a business decision at that point to do sequels and whatnot. And yeah, because everything else is failing. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's such a shame. Such yeah. a shame. There's no Disney magic. That's what I'm saying. It's too corporate now. Yes. It's just not. It's uh, yeah. seeing the stock price, too. Everything about Disney mm, past 10 years. Yeah, anyway. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. All right. 
run and lie. Okay, all right. So that's <laughs> 52% with Wish. Um, if you want to go see a character, Wish Upon a Star, and actually have a good animation film, go see Puss in Boots. Oh, yes. Very true. Very true. Or Puss in Boots in the last Wish. Wish whatever. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, folks, before we go on to our last film here, we just want to remind you all that uh, we are completely producer-supported. Vin and I, no matter how big we get, our goal is to stay away from corporate advertising. Uh, basically, we don't want to just have a bunch of products we don't care about and shill them to you throughout the podcast. It's a worse product. Um, mm. It's also just uh, lying to you, and <laughs> it's just it's just a bad not way. Not genuine. Not it's genuine. All about being genuine. And the advertising market, with things going on in podcasts anyway, things are drying up, and yeah. it's just it's not the way we want to do things. And there's mm. other options out there. So we're going off the value for value model. So there's other podcasts doing it, and we certainly didn't invent it. But uh, it's real simple. Are you getting value from what we're doing here? The podcast every week, the website, the newsletter that comes out weekly. Uh, is that value for you? Is that value in your pocket? We ask you, can you give us value back in our pocket? And there's not a tier structure. You don't have to give us $10 or $50 to get the most content or $100 and you get even more content. Uh, everything is here for you. It's all free technically. And because there's no payment tier structure, we leave it up to you to make that choice because five bucks to you is completely different to the other person, which is completely different to the other person. If a hundred bucks is a little bit of money to you, that's amazing if you send that our way. But we know that a hundred bucks is a lot for the other person. So whatever amount of value that you're getting from us, you can send our way. Now, we do have fun set donations of one-timers. You know, we have monthlies and a weekly if you want, uh, but it's really whatever you want. It's called the value for value donation because just pick a number, whatever you're feeling, whatever you are enjoying this week or want to give this week, that's totally fine, and we appreciate it so much. And when you do that, when you donate, you become a legit actual producer of the daily ratings. That's why we say we're producer-supported. If you're financially supporting the show and the podcast and the company, uh, that makes you just like in Hollywood, you're a producer. And when you donate, you can also write in a note with your donation. And we're going to read it here right on the podcast, right in this section. So whether it's comments or questions or critiques, we're going to read it no matter what. So it's kind of like an ask us anything type section. Mm, but also sure. if you're producing or want to see something different or have your own ideas, we want to hear that. Yeah, you're, you, you're a producer. We want to hear from you. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Now, if you go to the dailyratings.com and you go to the donations tab, the page is not working right now. Vin and I think we're going to have to scrap the whole thing. Mm. Um, not really because of us either. It's just because of the program, the horrible, yeah. horrible program that we use. Yeah, it's been um, a headache for sure. But it's actually pretty easy to donate to us. Yeah. So you can go on the donations tab, and basically you see all the set fun donations, whether it's the, the alien donation or the Godfather or the Gump Club donation. All that fun stuff is there if you want to see what the donation numbers mean. And if you have Venmo and want to donate that way, basically we're just at the daily ratings on Venmo. Or if you have PayPal, you can just send a donation in to PayPal at the Daily Ratings Production Co. So it's really easy, actually, with all the talk with all the website and everything. It really doesn't matter. Hit us up at Venmo at the Daily Ratings. Hit us up at PayPal at the Daily Ratings Production Co. It's whatever amount. You just go ahead and put the amount in there. You can hit us up at tom.vin at thedailyratings.com. That's our email. And you can that's where you can send your donation note. So it's pretty simple, really. Mm -hmm. But we appreciate all of you who have produced in the past. We see the numbers going up and up. Another way to produce is just tell somebody. Keep the, keep the word out. Keep the show growing. Get us in the conversation. That is where we want to be. So we thank you all so much. Okay, Vin. With that, let's keep things going here with our last big film. This is, um, I would say, the biggest one kind of out this week. That, that's why we kind of saved it. I also watched this one. <laughs> this is Ridley Scott's Napoleon. 
What if I told uh, you uh, I threw out my notes three times on this? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be I'm shocked why. Very, I, I, uh, not even torn on this movie, just uh, where do I begin kind okay, of on this okay. movie, which is, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm very curious to hear what you think and almost like I, I want you to start. <laughs> yeah, but Vinny, <laughs> we were, even before the show, Vinny goes, you're not going to give me anything on Napoleon? Because I was like, no, I'm, uh, you'll wait. You will hear. <laughs> you will patience. Um, we can start it out like this, basically, though. Ridley yeah. Scott working with Apple to produce this movie yes. on Napoleon's life. Um, he definitely hits, of course, the general that we know of Napoleon to be, but he focuses very, very heavy on his love side, the mm. romantic side of yep. his relationship-wise um, with the main... With uh, his, Vanessa Kirby. Right, Vanessa Kirby's character and his yep. main you know, his main wife in real life. So that's kind of setting things up. We don't really see him as a child. We see him stepping into when he really comes into more prominent, prominent face. And... That's kind of the deal. Uh, right away, I'll just say the movie was made in less than 70 days. Really? Yeah. And wow. That's a good fact. Vin and I were both worried about this film coming out. It's so funny. Everyone I talked to was like, eh. I okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it has this, It there's a feeling. Yeah. You, you see content on it or you watch the trailer and it's yep. just like exactly that. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know. Yeah, yeah. And we'll see how it plays out. Uh, but this is the story of Napoleon, both what would also what could be described now as uh, on camera and off camera <laughs> Napoleon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But let's pick it up from there, maybe, Vin? And uh, well, yeah, I, I, I want to put some more time with Ridley Scott, because uh, this is okay. obviously back after his double dose uh, with Adam, Adam Driver in 2021. Uh, that year saw the double release of Last Duel and House of Gucci, both mm -hmm. moderately decent films, but both with blemishes that seem to be unavoidable for our 85-year-old director. Can't believe he's 85. 85. Looks good. Talk to him. Sure. Right. Right. Very outspoken. Very, he's got a lot of vigor. <laughs> a lot of vigor. You got a lot of opinions. <laughs> However, with this film, Ridley is returning to his comfort zone once again, with um, this being a mostly nonfiction history piece. Uh, buzz around this release echoing the hype around movies like Gladiator, and just in time to announce that sequel coming 20 years later. Mm -hmm. You know, why is it going to be 87 when Gladiator 2 comes out? I don't know. <laughs> uh, writing wise, David Scarpa uh, is a name I was happy to see pop up. I remember enjoying 2007. 17's All the Money in the World, despite its casting troubles with hmm. uh, uh, Kevin guess, Spacey. Yeah, I was going to say he, that shall not be named, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but unfortunately, writing is where I have. Um, some serious questions uh, <laughs> for this movie. Uh, plenty of people have pointed out there is an odd comedic and childish tone to the focus of the screenplay itself. Mm -hmm. uh, in short, I think this movie was lacking as a biopic for one of the greatest tactical minds to ever live and instead focusing on romance over war. I felt like it, this personal, this personal spin, anyone but Napoleon, uh, anyone but you know, the yeah. tactical genius of Napoleon. Um, and I did a lot of research into, is there an acceptable Napoleon film out there? Apparently uh, the film Waterloo does a really good job. Uh, that's about it. I believe Waterloo. I forget the director who did that. Uh, I'm Brian, I think it's De Palma. Okay. Oh, is it? I think so. Okay. Um, I know there's, there might've been one in the seventies. 
mm. that came out as yeah. well. But somebody wanted to make like three films. Yes. It wasn't allowed to. Was that Waterloo? Right. Uh, no, that wasn't Waterloo. Uh, I think that was a uh, actually turned into a BBC production in okay. 2002. Okay, okay. Um, but it, I know it wanted to take it seriously, ended up coming out with something that wasn't terrible, but yep. like he was still super upset that he couldn't. Napoleon is one of the biggest f- figures. Absolutely. In, in, in history, yeah, especially absolutely. in the past thousand years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Just, and just he was take upset. the thousand. Stanley Kubrick wanted to make a Napoleon <laughs> sure, film sure. and went through like seven years of trying to make it work or working on <laughs> script and as, as a Stanley Kubrick would. Yeah, yeah. Uh, never got made. Uh, Ridley Scott comes along. And it's just like, hey, Apple, I want to make a (laughs) Napoleon film. He's like, okay, here you go. Here we go. And I think it shows in the film. (laughs) Yeah, it it, uh, it feels not rushed, but uh, distinctly unfocused. And uh, for a biopic, that is a new type of critique because I feel like the the bell I always ring with biopics is that they all feel the same. This feels different, but Mm. feels worse different. In Napoleon, we open up on the the peak of the French Revolution. Like you said, Tom, we're not with him in childhood or anything like that. We see the beheading of Marie Antoinette, and this spans the many years of tribulation in a fluctuating government. Um, With the balance of power offset, we see the rapid rising fame of Napoleon's military career. While the story covers many of the major encounters in his campaign across Europe, uh, the focus shifts to his personal life. We see him take his wife in Josephine, finding companionship in their kind of outsider positions among the French elite, uh, with uh, each of them receiving plenty of criticism for their unpolished ways. And once again, the depiction of Napoleon here is childish. Um, I don't want to say, you know, uh, mentally disabled or anything like that, but there's a a particular spin they're trying to give to Napoleon that he doesn't have patience for the little moments of his his life. Yeah, and this was something that came across that I was just very annoyed with, didn't love. Now, like, so saw this with Andrea and producer Sean, Mm -hmm. and like, Andrea wasn't too as upset about it, reason being is because like, okay, the whole Napoleon complex thing, it's always like, Hmm. you know, you're big, this general, important guy, but behind the scenes There's actually yeah. a, little, a bit of a child sure. a bit of insecurities come out yeah i just think it could have been touched on in a much better way mm-hmm. i mean that this his did he actually do some of those things he's you know what i mean right or are we just like oh okay napoleon complex let's make him a little bit let's make him super insecure and a kid. sure sure and then and then the writer just had had at it yeah i think know? i think and it's a definitely a, a takes two to tango maybe three to tango in this <laughs> between scarpa scott and then joaquin right uh, yeah so because i feel like joaquin in his acting style would definitely embrace a non-traditional way to per, per, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. present napoleon i feel like probably the safest way to say it is that he would be like neurodivergent or something like that right, right. Uh, or even on the spectrum in this film when it comes down to it though it's just like the comedic spin of this just it just sours it it just oh big time yeah there is a lot and i mean a lot folks of historical ground to cover here which makes things a bit boring i feel like if uh, there's anything told in the troubles of making a story about napoleon is that the story is kind of too big to tell uh, i was watching my clock a bit with this one not because of uh, it losing my interest but because the the tension of the story rarely changes We're 
or flat. There's um, even in some of the most historically bombastic moments in the real Napoleon's life, they're played so flat. Oh yeah, and disinterested that it makes you wonder why did Ridley Scott even want to make this? Uh, I know it, it, it's too big, mm. and that's what I got to saying. It's too big of a story. And the funny thing is, okay, it's two hours and thirty-eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a long movie. Mm. When you think about Napoleon, it's almost just like well. If there's going to be a three hour and 30, <laughs> yeah. uh, the 30 minute film, it's going to be this, right? Exactly. No, no, no. It's Killers of the Flower Moon, <laughs> which in, in retrospect went by as a clip. Oh, my I mean, God. It, Killers felt way faster. Right. Makes me appreciate it. And it's crazy because the, the content was so much slower in yeah, Killers. For real. Absolutely. Just the content, how big of a character Napoleon was, mm-hmm. it's too much for one movie to try to mm. contain, uh, contain. Yeah. And then the fact. That you go so much on the behind the scenes, so much on the romantic side. Right. What's he like, you know, outside the public? Mm-hmm. It is now even more content. Mm. And I'll tell you what, it is. I was checking my watch, too. Yeah. You think there'd be a huge amount of stuff. Yeah. But because you have to move so quick, mm-hmm. it lessens each and every scene then. Exactly. It's it's how the scenes flow as well. I I, I think scenes, they, they, they're just back to back. And they just I, lack I, importance, I, even I, in the own story. I said this walking story. out of the theater, had into my notes, too. Yeah. The way he goes from scene to scene, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't help think b- but of Scorsese and Tarantino. Mm-hmm. They know how to transition scenes sure. and, and scenes a lot better. Mm-hmm. This just kind of happens. Yeah. And to the point where later the last half an hour, especially 45 minutes, it's just <laughs> like – Okay, we can wrap things up now. Yeah, exactly. And it's and an Napoleon should, film. Right. It should be the opposite. The last moments of his life are the most exciting. I know. Uh, <laughs> like these, I know. this is why he's almost even known. But it's yeah, uh, it, it becomes a, a, a quite the letdown for Napoleon's real bombastic a, a events towards the end of his life that are just breezily shuffled past, like any other scene in this film. Uh, significantly around his exile, where nothing is done to emphasize these moments where he proves himself as great or he proves himself as a charismatic leader and i feel like this uh, depiction of napoleon and then also the romance focus becomes a burden on it uh i can only imagine ridley wanting to de-emphasize these scenes to make him all about josephine make him all about the romance yeah but you strip the reason for the biopic you yeah, know yeah napoleon is not a figure that we remember for his romantic love it's for his con- Quest. I know, I know. know. And not that you can't have the romantic side. That's sure, fine. Right. But just, it, and, and, hey, if you wanted to, to be so much on the romantic side of Napoleon, mm. don't call it Napoleon. <laughs> right. Napoleon and Josephine. Or, oh, it would be a right. beautiful title. Or the Bonaparte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would the, be Fableman. Yes, the Bonaparte. Uh, the Bonaparte. But seriously. And then I'm, you can be as silly you as you want. You can, you know, you can make noises at the call, dinner table. But, uh, but, but Napoleon and Josephine would be phenomenal. In 2023, yeah. Josephine and Napoleon. Oh, sure. You know? Absolutely. Uh, and, and then it's and then, Anything. I mean, all of the slack and mm. all of it just would be given yes. to Ridley Scott. Because we're clearly going for a different type of telling of his life but you know? man oh man to yeah. call napoleon yeah wow we're gonna get this story here right. we go <laughs> it really is it's it's a it's a it's a wet fart of a movie <laughs> it's just a, it's a it's an exhale of a, of a sigh the missed opportunity uh for me 
is choosing to tell much of the story around the romance and the politics and the fact that maybe in third place of priorities of the film are scenes of war tactics is hugely disappointing for me. We are shown so many aspects of his life, but we are only told his military genius, which is the opposite of what I think the film should be. Mm -hmm. Um, Worst of all, the stakes on the battlefield aren't communicated well at all. In the actual action of the film, it's often unclear what separates Napoleon from any other general besides just firing the cannons first. Uh, And, (laughs) (laughs) like, seriously, that's every action scene. He's brilliant because he fires the cannons first, or maybe just has cannons, period? No. No. And that's where I was really researching Waterloo. Apparently, Waterloo has, like, a lot of um, care put into uh, musket firing tactics and how the lines of extras moved in and out, and, like, I kind of want to watch Waterloo now. Uh, Yeah. That battle, how sure we spend some time of it in the movie, Mm. but, like, people still study it today, how that battle went down, and it's, (laughs) man... Ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous. And, and and that's where I mean these the action isn't communicated well. These uh the 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 tension of the battlefield, why Napoleon is a genius, it's it's yeah. We are seeing action, so it's uh, it's odd to say, but I feel like it's prescribed to us. It's told rather than shown. Can I? Say, I'll maybe make sure. a note there. What you say about his genius? It's not. Uh, yeah, his his tactical genius. It's, it's almost it's like it's the, not shown. It's almost like one of the big parts. The reason why the film was made the way it was mm. is to show that Napoleon wasn't a genius. Maybe it's almost how it comes out a little uh, bit. That's a that's a fair point, especially if you're really leaning into this, uh, you know, Napoleon com- complex that he he doesn't. You know, he's a smaller right. man than we think. You know. Uh, that, that's an interesting point. Either way, <laughs> not an enjoyable movie. <laughs> but, but all of this really pinpoints my issues with the film. By the end, the movie asserts that Josephine was the most important aspect to his life. And while a biopic should give us a glimpse into the real person behind the legend, for Napoleon's case, he wasn't known for romance. This is possibly the most notable mig- military figure in history. And... I was let down by what this film focused on. You know, this is in in ways it's not uh, it's a biopic in third place of its own priorities. Um, Would you say as far as quality of biopic, as far as quality of this film mm. goes, I was trying to be like, OK, it's better than a History Channel biopic. Sure. It's better than like a six part series. Yeah. But I think this is like Apple schlock. <laughs> yeah, kind maybe. Of. Like yeah. I'm, I'm trying to watch uh, the new Godzilla show. Okay. Legacy Monsters, really? Monsters Legacy. Really? It's horseshit. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, and I'm just like, okay. Yeah. You're right, Monarch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, Apple has been long enough now. And now they can just like Netflix has their schlock. Yeah. Apple totally has schlock. Sure. And I think this goes into it. Well, that's crazy. I, I mean, I, I agree. I agree. This is like if Amazon made a show, yeah. not HBO. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, because it's just, I'll read a little script for my notes here. Yeah. I actually have notes I can go off a little bit. <laughs> I don't mind too much if you want to go with the romantic life. It's, you know, he's choosing to look at the romantic life, but even that, because it has so much care and clear intent to show us the romantic side, mm. even that still seems vapid. Mm, the only yes. reason why that saved a little bit is, in my opinion, the one good, good part of the film, which is Vanessa Kirby's performance. Yes, yes. Um, but then, because they also shared that with the general side, it made the the film really skips along for two hours and thirty eight minutes, mm-hmm. but like you never ever feel the depth or the massive importance yes. that is Napoleon. Right. And su- and surprisingly, for a film that rushes through an mm-hmm. entire life of 
of a guy. Mm-hmm. It, it was surprisingly slow, and you're still waiting for the end. Yeah. You're just just texting the clock, just like, okay, when is this going to go? Yeah. Even it, it, in those crazy. climactic moments. The, you I know. know. It feel, oh, the it, Russia part. Right. I, I, I mean, so disappointing. Absolutely. And it, it almost fails in a way that, uh, like, the screenplay itself doesn't doesn't fit, you know? Uh, 100% it's lower class. It's it. lower class. Yeah. It's beneath Ridley Scott. Absolutely. That's what we knew Ridley to be. Yeah. Now... Well, (laughs) what I like to refer to, and I would love to actually revisit this film, but Ridley did a movie called The Counselor, which I think was the hidden mark of where things started declining fast. Okay, all right. Because even in the 2000s, you get, obviously, Gladiator, you get uh, American Gangster. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and, And things that... I would say are, are, are really good movies. Yeah, I would know? say after 2010. Yeah. Because you have that other alien movie. Was it Covenant? Uh, he did, no, he did Prometheus and That's what Prometheus. Yeah. Prometheus is what I was thinking about. Because yeah. I think you have Prometheus and then uh, Counselor is 2014. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Um, That's in a whole nother uh, can of worms. Yes, I know. Oh, my God. But uh, he's been on a sl- downwards, downward spiral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do agree with you 100% on Vanessa Kirby. I think she's stunning. I think she, if, if romance is going to be the focus, she is a good thematic center. Of, she was uh, great. That's why, I mean, I love Lady Gaga and yeah. House of Gucci. Sure. Yeah, you know? that's a great comparison. I thought Vanessa Kirby is probably one of my favorite younger yeah. actresses now. Yeah. I think she's just so, she's solid. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the million dollar question here, what is the heads or tails on Joaquin's childish, temperamental acting? Do you think it? I can't, bl- I don't know if I can blame it. Like the childishness part and his mm-hmm. weird antics, I don't know if I can blame it. We don't know if that is Joaquin doing okay. that or if it's Ridley Fair. or the writing. Fair. You know what I mean? My biggest thing, my first note here is first take. Accents were many, changing <laughs> and overwhelmingly inauthentic. Oh, okay. All right. The moment, the first three words out of Joaquin's mouth, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. He's not even trying. He's not <laughs> trying yeah, he's anything. Not even trying. We were walking to the movie and the producer, Sean, was yeah. just like, is, is this going to be all subtitles? How much accents? And I was like, I don't, I I don't wish. think so. I was like, I don't think he'd learn that much of the language. I would but I was expecting a little. This is, I was kept on thinking this is like the Valkyrie disease. Mm. You know, Valkyrie got torched because, you know, Americans, you know, Nazis sound like they're American. Then you have British Americans, Valkyrie, the Tom yeah, Cruise yeah, yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, it's just, the accents were all over the place. A lot of British people speaking in, in British, a lot of Americans with, yeah. the, with American dialect. Right. Wa- Joaquin not trying a, a, a damn thing. Right. I mean, Vanessa Kirby at least is doing some type of coolness or some type of yeah, thing. Yeah, but it's not, none, none of it is French, <laughs> I would say. One of the brothers or one of the brothers of Napoleon, he, he yeah, was yeah. going in and out of an accent. Yeah. That was terrible. <laughs> I was pissed off because Joaquin, I mean, it seemed like the preparation was almost nothing. Yeah. And there was zero prosthetic work done on the guy. Oh, well, what were you expecting? Just, just anything just, to look <laughs> more like 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 the touch him up. Napoleon Barnett. It's just Joaquin Phoenix, right? And, and it was really bothersome. And even when he's young, nothing is done. And, and I, you, you would want maybe some progression in 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 him aging. A yeah. good, you know, uh, I think it's like twenty-two years span. And of, he of does. This. I mean, I'm sorry, but you know, Napoleon doesn't really look all that much like <laughs> like 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 Joaquin Phoenix, <laughs> right? You know, Tommy Lee. He's jo- gonna put some work, Tommy. Lee Jones played General MacArthur okay. in a movie called MacArthur, I think, that not yeah. a lot of people saw. Okay. Matthew Fox was in it, though, lost. So. 
and he just Somehow. played himself. But even like he kind of could. He's like an old guy at least. Yeah. Kind of had similarities, but still tried nothing to get close to yeah. him. I mean, I mean, they did nothing with Joaquin. Mm. Joaquin did nothing with Joaquin. Meaning mm. the accents. Well, that's it, where it, I it, think was, it was ridiculous. It, he, uh, I, I think in Joaquin's method, he probably was excited to take the role in that it was a a non traditional depiction of this historical figure. I think I think Ridley thought he was doing an accurate thing though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that why Joaquin took the role? Or it's just like, hey, Joaquin, I'm Ridley Scott. We worked together before. <laughs> yeah. The shooting's gonna be less than seventy days. And you get to play Napoleon. <laughs> Whatever he does, right, right, right. You know, I mean, it's just it was ridiculous. It was crazy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Uh, I'm right there with you on 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 Joaquin's. I I wanted to like it, but I think uh, lack of progression in the character, growing older, and makeup work, and everything like that. Yeah, it was it was a letdown. Kirby really was the only thing saving it, and and the only thing saving it. Yeah, that was that was a a silver lining uh, because uh, I want to see her succeed. Whatnot. And no big actors. Yeah. I know we've been spoiled this year, particularly mm. with Killers of the Flower Moon. Sure. And Hell, hell. even this week with Saltburn. You know, right. There's, there's packed cast. But as far as, uh, well, I'm sorry, what is the um, the bomb movie? Oh, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Yep. Big actors stepping mm. in and be like, that role, that role. It, it was characters that took you out of the movie, but at the same time, you're like, he's, he's so good. Mm. You know, Robert Downey Jr. was so good in this yes, scene. Yes. He was so good in this scene. Yada, yep. yada. Killers did the same thing. Maybe the same thing with Barbie, even. Sure. And yeah. it's just like, give me bigger actors. Give me. You know, make one of the politicians just like, oh, that guy was awesome. Yeah, Where's yeah. Jonathan Lithgow in this? <laughs> he should be in this. That kind of shit. It was just like laziness Jonathan from Lithgow, Ridley. the French general. <laughs> well, well, there's no rules. Right. Oh, this, there's, there's definitely no rules. In this Napoleon, there's yeah. zero rules. There's definitely no rules. You wanna, <sighs> well, I'm glad ahead, we're on ahead. the same yeah. point. I, I, I'm good. With, I, I, I don't know if this is a good review or not. No, I think this is excellent. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page with it. Again, if, they, if there was any worry... In you watching this one, and why I was curious about it, it was I, I just didn't know if this movie would be kind of just blandly, unex- uh, blandly acceptable, blandly like, oh yeah, it's a Napoleon biopic. He does war stuff and whatnot. Not saying that that's your taste or anything right. like that, but uh, I, I was worried that I was being too critical on it with no. kind of my history with Ridley Scott. And, right, and, and, because and it's films. the only thing saving this is that because it has a big name behind it. Yeah, this is something that I would be flipping through Netflix and just be like, all right, I'm working on something here on the computer. I'll <laughs> yeah. throw on this Napoleon film. For real. And then it's just like, eh, it's okay. Something or you can turn off. Apple fodder. Right. You know, they got to build the thing. It's just has that catalog. feeling, which is like, when did this come out? Oh, three years ago? Oh, I never even heard about it. <laughs> yeah. It's only Ridley Scott that's doing something here. Yeah, for um, real. Um, There's the reason why it has any buzz behind it. Not that there's much buzz at all. Yeah, that's, that's also another fact that I don't think uh, this is going to have a lot of staying power, especially because it's not the third heavyweight among the, now the Arms race of Killers of Flower Moon and Oppenheimer. Yeah, you know, I feel like I think that, Bradley Cooper coming out with Maestro. Ah, uh, very true. He's going to be in There's talks. There's a as lot well. of hype around that. But I'll, I'll tell you what, it's just, it's just, it's Ridley Scott and Napoleon. One yeah. of the biggest characters, and something that could be the most cinematic character. Absolutely, <laughs> it's just absolutely. Like, he has multiple points, and that is covered in this uh, in this um, movie in the time span of it. That uh, is just 
de-emphasize in a weird and and distinctly unsatisfying way. Uh, Folks, I would say at many points, the only thing saving this film for me was the production costumes and and the set pieces, which I I think were visually, honestly stunning when it comes to like costume work and and how embroidered things are and extras. I, I liked the prestige aspect of the film, 70 days on production or not. Uh, I just think it's a shame that the same attention to detail was not given to the history of why Napoleon is a figure we remember today, why he's a figure we we even give a damn about today. Uh, I want to point to two films that this film could have learned a lot from, Ridley Scott's own American Gangster in 2007 and this year's heavy hitter Oppenheimer from Chris Nolan. Yeah, I think American Gangster shows how rising tension can create some of the most entertaining parts of the film. Even if you want Napoleon to be bored by moments of his life and care only about Josephine, uh, it doesn't mean the scenes themselves shouldn't have life. And I'm pointing to the coup, I'm pointing to the first and the second exile of Napoleon in this. And and when when I say he can learn something from Oppenheimer, uh, it shows how you can make the most mundane or heady comp uh, concepts to have importance on the screen. The gravitas of early scenes set the stage for why we should pay attention for the rest of the runtime. And sadly, Joaquin's odd approach in the character works to only erode at what should have been the hook for the film. I'm real torn on this one. I'm nervous <laughs> on this score. I, I think I'm going to go with my gut. And uh, again, I, I put a lot of, I went through three different drafts uh, of this review because I was just, I, 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 in ways really hated this movie, yeah, but in yeah. ways like, is it really that bad? Same uh, thing, buddy. Same yeah, thing. It's tough. Uh, I think going with my gut, we're going to go ahead and give Napoleon a 49. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a 49, just, it's a 49%. <laughs> One of the wow. lower Ridley Scott scores period. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising. Great point with, with Oppenheim, learn something from Oppenheimer in your, in your own film. Yeah. Because man, I, I, I love that. Um, why can't I think of it? Uh, American Gangster. American Gangster. Yes. Love that film. Absolutely. I forgot he did it too until this week. <laughs> right. Right. Um, wow. 49%. I think it, the film totally deserves that. Mm. Uh, I wasn't in love with with the set pieces, I thought yeah. they kind of felt small or contained a little bit. Okay, uh, you're right about the costumes. Uh, the costumes were okay. Sure, the costumes did seem pretty legit. Very thick material, it seemed like. Yeah, the embroidery was, was just so intricate. Yeah, on some I was looking, and... so that was all right. But uh, for me, um, the film seemed rushed because it was. <laughs> it seemed like Apple throwing big money at a big director, hoping to get big results. But when you forget the heart and the depth and the thousands of pages written about this guy. <laughs> You end up with a boring dog, okay? <laughs> boring dog. This was not an apple. This was a lemon. This yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, this gets one shoe and one lace. Ooh. That's it. No a, even a two hobbling, shoes. On. A hobbling score. Which, by the way, is right around my 50%. That's like my 50%. <laughs> right. So we're dead on the, I loved your 49. Sure, right, right. Yeah, you need to get two shoes on before you can get across the 50% mark. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I wanted to give this one shoe, and that's yeah. it, and leave it there. I wanted to be but, harsher, yeah. But it's just like... Okay. I mean, it was the last battle scene of the film. Mm. You know, we're about two and a half in, maybe yeah. something like that, 220 in. Yep. And I'm like, okay, it's not that bad, I guess. You know, mm. there are horses. It's not It's not crazy CGI. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, okay, it's just it's just overwhelmingly disappointing yes. for, the, for the man of Napoleon and for this director yep. to make a film like this. Yeah. 
I, I have one, you know how we're always making new phrases or making new terms. Sure. I have a new term that I want to say that okay. this actually has a huge issue with. Okay. And this is the product of the BDM. The BDM. Which is the big director machine. Mm. One thing I'm finding with people like Ridley Scott, especially mm -hmm. with Scorsese, with Spielberg, they're getting older, so they not only want to be making more and more pictures quickly mm. because they're still full of energy. They love, you know, sure. they're running out of time. They know it and they sure. want to make pictures. Sure. It's a product of that. But because they're in the industry for so long, they have had their team with them mm. for 20 plus years. Yeah. You talk about people who I stepped on set at a Spielberg film and then there was everybody. There was the family. You know, he mm. said, welcome to the family. Yeah. Every, the, he uses the same guides. It's the same stuff. But Scorsese, using Thelma Shoe, Shoemaker, whatever her name is, the same person who's been doing... The film editing for oh, him yeah, yeah, for yeah. decades and decades. Yep, yep. When you have your team around you, mm -hmm. everything is plug and play. Sure. So it's Ridley shows up in the in the concept room and it's like, okay, let's do Napoleon. Mm. And this big director machine, everything that's already set up, yep. goes to work. And it's not a good thing because I think you lose depth and you don't get into actually trying to make this picture beautiful, mm. this one single picture. Mm -hmm. It feels like, oh, this is just another one for the books. Yeah. This is another one in my film catalog. Sure, sure. So we're going to do Napoleon. Everyone has their jobs. Yes, yes. Plug and play, plug and play. Sure. And we get something like this. I think that's dead on as well for Apple's position, who basically just wants to be a financier and not really in, in the concept stage of this. Right. You know? and, and I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, I mean, Ridley was aware. He goes, there's over 10,000 books on Napoleon. So mm. where do you start? Yeah. And he's, he just went for it. He, <laughs> he just, just did it, whatever yeah. Ridley wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of reason behind that why Scorsese has not been electric as much as people do respect killers. Mm, you know, sure. Irishmen, definitely people right. are, are are all kind of ways on that. Uh, absolutely. But it's not 90s Scorsese. Right. It's not 80s Scorsese. No. Same thing with Spielberg. Yeah. You know, after Saving Private Ryan, he might have some interesting products, mm -hmm. but you know, right around there in the mid-90s, he has his team with him. Mm. And I just think it's this big director machine. We love these directors. They have the power and the money to make massive pictures. Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, they're, they get the rights to a name like Napoleon. Yep. But when the machine runs, it's all too blah. Sure, sure. And this movie was very blah. I think it's a great vapid observation. Vapid was what I kept on saying. Yeah, vapid's a great word for Napoleon. Absolutely. Which is like I, I think it's a great observation. BDM. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's also could be a commentary on starving new voices. Uh, even mm. not necessarily like director talent, but uh, cinematographers and, and, and different team members to add to the production. Right. Those different voices may be, uh, not, I'm not saying that they could stop a personality like 85-year-old Ridley Scott. I mean, you see, you see this guy in interviews. Yeah. Uh, he's very outspoken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I feel like new voices at every level of the production are is something to be encouraged instead of the, you know, the big director. We got a little bit of new blood here yeah, and there. Yeah. You know what I mean? One thing that Howard Stern always tried to do with his show mm -hmm. was even though we had established characters, mm. he was always bringing in younger talent mm. and try to get some more people with that when they're on mic that can be entertaining in a different way. Yeah. It's new blood. Keep it, keep things rolling a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. These guys have their teams and hey, a lot of respect for that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they definitely know what to do with their jobs, mm -hmm. uh, but it comes with the downside. Yeah. And that's depth and emotional connectivity with these characters. For sure. I think. Just the one thing that kept on going on through my head, too, was I brought up that quote, was it last week or two weeks ago, where Ridley was like, oh, I've made four films since uh, as long as he's been working on Killers of the Flower yeah. Moon. <laughs> and right. it's like, right, maybe that's a bad thing, sir. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's a, <laughs> a quantity over quality for approach here going on. <laughs> but, uh, hey, see it on Apple. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want from us, huh? Um, uh, but, right. yeah, hey, talk about running long. Yeah. <laughs> 
actually right where we've been, actually. Oh, yeah? Su- surprisingly, really? yeah. Okay, it okay. surprised me, too. I, I, uh, I think it was worth the time, honestly, for all five of the movies. I'd rather spend a lot of time on movies that can maybe save someone some time on going to see or maybe even getting to see. Yeah. Uh, or get and, some new information on some of these. Right. I think a lot of people don't know about Thanksgiving, Nets, Skull Wing, Saltburn, which, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, people... Napoleon. There's <laughs> <laughs> all five of them. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm glad to spend the time on new releases versus maybe, you know, some art house yeah, film yeah. I have off of my list, you know. I hope I didn't take it like down that. too many tangents. No, I... <laughs> The only one, you know, what I mean, it's, it's just if Emerald Fennel, if I ever, if I ever meet her, I just say, you know, don't listen to that Saltburn review. We we bring up Marvel and Star Wars in your movie. Very clearly, not about those things. Uh, been looking looking at these uh, boy in these. That's where I said at the beginning. We need a name for this. The puddle. Is that really what we're going to call the puddle? Yeah. It is. It's in the puddle. Yeah, I, but but it, the puddle is tough because it's 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 equally Fast and Furious movies and and you know put them side to side. It's a little messy. It's it's, it's the oil drippings. Yeah, <laughs> bleeds. It's like the La Brea tar pits. Yeah, <laughs> these films ex- these films exist, but they're just there. Yeah. They're just stuck there. Right? <laughs> okay, I don't know. Anything want to finish on anything for future talk or uh, roll credits? Yeah, here, well, more so we. Just have a lot of uh, packed releases. Uh, I could feasibly do another all five new slot this coming wow. week, but we'll see with just limited releases. Most of all, I'm hoping to get Dream Scenario in the books. Oh, okay, um, yeah. And I'm hoping that 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 Which wide is release is yeah that people don't know. Yeah, exactly. So uh, a lot coming out in, de- in December, yeah. but. Uh, We'll see. We'll see how much I get to the theater. <laughs> All right. Vin, thank you so much for going to the theater. But folks, don't forget to donate. I mean, that's what we say. There's a lot of movie tickets. A lot of movie tickets, huh? Um, if you want to donate, it's at the Daily Ratings on Venmo. And it's also um, the Daily Ratings Production Co. if you want to just send send stuff our way uh, via PayPal. But, Vin, thank you so much for going to the movie, watching all these. The hours are no-taken. Thanks for stopping by tonight. Folks at home, we're going to run it down one more time. We have Thanksgiving with a 56%. Next Goal wins with a 64 Saltburn with a 59, Wish with a 52, and finally Napoleon with a 49% and a one-shoe, one-lace. All right, folks, thank you so much. We will see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. Hey, if you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer. And normally, you would go to the donations tab on thedailyratings.com, and you can donate whatever amount of value you feel you receive from us. But like I said, Venmo or PayPal if you'd like. We're looking to build this into something large and great, folks, but we want to be independent from the corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast.